welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Turn with me. Again, let's look today at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're going to look at these these first eight verses, uh, and then, as I said, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 9 through 14 next week. Here now the reading of God's holy word. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, And the clouds return after the rain. And the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. The grass withers and flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we do ask that You would prepare our hearts to accept Your Word. We pray that you would silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. According to a recent survey, 67% of Americans die without a will, or a living trust, or anything similar to end-of-life preparation. And according to the survey, the reason why most people die without a will or end-of-life preparation uh, is procrastination. But you already knew that, didn't you? I've encountered similar sentiments in the church when it comes to preparing for funerals. Uh, If you want to know, I'm an advocate of pre-planning your own funeral. Brandon's been given specific instructions that start with holy, 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 somewhere work in. A mighty fortress is our God. We're working on everything else in between there. But I'm preparing. Some have said, well, that just sounds morbid. To which I say, yes. Next question. Because what's wrong with with morbid? What's wrong with morbidity? I want to prepare all of you for this. You are going to die. I am going to die. I'm ready. 
Are you? Now, to be clear, at this moment, you may be thinking, does he have a death wish? No, I, I don't. In fact, to be clear, I love life. I love life. And this is where it gets a little confusing and where I think some people struggle with Ecclesiastes. Because what Solomon is doing is he is teaching us both. He is teaching us to love the life that God has given us. At the same time, to be prepared for death. And he's not pitting the one against the other. He's saying that both can, in fact, be true. My own life, and I would imagine many of you are the same, I, I exercise vigorously every day. I eat primarily a plant-based diet. I, I drink red wine, a glass or two or three. I sleep well. I have purpose in my life. I enjoy my family. And, I'm, and, and, and this is not salesmanship. And I am part of a church family that is a blessing that I love, that I have given and dedicated myself to. And all of these things, studies show, along with other things, help with healthy longevity. And so, I think it's important, I think, for, for us to be good stewards. God gave me this body, I don't get another one right now. And so, for right now, this is all I got, so I'm going to take care of it, because this is what God is going to give me. And, and, I'm going to die. And it might be today. But I'm ready. I pray that you are too. This is what Solomon is teaching us. And this is where he is taking us in this passage. David Gibson, who is a Scot who has written on Ecclesiastes, he says, quote, I am convinced that only a proper perspective on death provides the true perspective on life. Living in the light of your death will help you to live wisely and freely and generously. It will give you a big heart and open hands and enable you to relish all the small things of life in deeply profound ways. I think Gibson's right, but it is far easier to think about death well, as you get closer to it, right? The older we get, the more we think about death. Some of you, I read this passage, and you go, sounds familiar. And some heard this passage and don't even know what he's talking about. And a lot of times that's because of age, right? When I think back to my reckless, foolish teenage years, I am still amazed to this day that I'm not blind or deaf or dead. And some of you, the more adventurous of you, probably think the same. So youth seemingly breeds a sense of irrational invincibility, an irrational immortality, as if nothing could happen to me. Remember we went on a ski trip when I was a boy, and my dad said, son, be sure and wear those sunglasses. And I'm like, you kidding me? They fog up. It's snow, dad. We're not at the beach. And the next day, Chris, can you eyes get sunburned? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my eyes, I don't know. They were probably like as red as 
red can be. And uh, so I'm like, hmm, I'm not invincible after all. No, I didn't think that. I still thought I was. Until, I remember as a boy, until a friend of my grandmother's died. And many of you think back to your childhood and you think about that time in your life when all of a sudden death kind of became real all of a sudden. And I remember this distinctly. I remember my parents took me to the funeral home and I remember she's dead. She's gone. Period. The end. The loss overwhelmed me in that moment and I remember crying uncontrollably uncontrollably. And I I have to say, again, in my immaturity, I'm not sure that I translated her death into a deeper, more realistic understanding of my mortality, but at least I hope that it was a building block. Many of you have had similar experiences. That moment when, wow, death is real. And yet, and yet, in our culture today, as moderns, oftentimes we want to shield ourselves away from death. And we want to shield our children, our grandchildren, away from death. Unless, of course, it's on television or a movie or a video or whatever. Well, of course, if it's entertainment, well, we'll take death all day long. But in real life, we oftentimes push death away. Don't do that. Take your children to funerals. And you go yourself as well. But at the conclusion of the previous chapter, Solomon is in fact speaking to the children. He's speaking to the youth. He's speaking to everyone in here that's under the age of 105. No, speaking to all of the young people that are here today that have read Ecclesiastes as well. And what does he encourage them? It's just a quick recap from last week, but at the end of chapter 11, Solomon encourages the young to Rejoice, to be happy in the days of their youth, to live according to the wisdom and the knowledge that God gives. He encourages them not to sow their wild oats, but to live coram deo before the face of God. He encourages the young not to be weighed down by worthless pursuits and the anxiety that those worthless pursuits breed. Knowing that youth, like the dawn of day, like the sunrise that I saw this morning, will pass away. Why carry the baggage of sin's burdens into adulthood when it is life-giving to please the Lord? May that be the message that we teach our children. It is a blessing to obey the Lord. It is life-giving to fear God. And then at the beginning of this chapter, Solomon adds this counsel to the young. He says, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. To remember implies prior knowledge, right? As every child knows there is a God. Or as I I like to to say, you you realize atheists aren't born. Every child believes in God. You have to be taught atheism. And as Scripture says, the one who says there is no God is a fool. But Solomon here uses the word creator. And what he is doing is he is implying 
more than just the reality that there is a God. By using that word distinctly, he is also emphasizing God's self-revealing knowledge that he has created everything. That he is indeed the creator. We may not know, as Solomon says in chapter 11, verse 5, the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with the child. But every child knows when asked the catechism question, Who made you? God made me. God made me. We were not present in our creation, but we were created. And we were not created by chance, but by design. The psalmist says we were knit together in our mother's womb. We're not just a happy accident. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But as wonderful as God made you, He made you. You're created. I'm created. We're not the Creator. Though we may get that confused from time to time. We are not sovereign. God is and He is the Creator. And what Solomon is conveying here to the young to remember your Creator is an emphasis upon humility. Remember, you are Creator. You are not God. But also, we die. Not by design, but by decided judgment. As the progeny of the first sinner, we inherit sin's curse and the certainty of death. It's certain. It's why when I said this morning, you're going to die, nobody stood up and says, no, I'm not. I've got a new Google program. I'm going to live forever. No. But how long we live, when we die, we don't know. God knows. But everyone dies. And what Solomon does in this passage, beautifully I might add, is... He's showing us how you see the signs, the arrow signs, right, of death is coming. We call it the aging process. And this is the message that Solomon is conveying. He's saying to the young, I know you think you're invincible. I know you think you will live forever. You won't. Remember your Creator. Remember, you were created in the image of God. Your value exceeds the rest of creation. You were rooted in your Creator, made in His image. Remember that you will not live forever, which will be more and more apparent the older you get, right? Remember how long you will live. God only knows, but know this. Solomon says in chapter 11, verse 9, God will bring you into judgment. It's as certain as death. God will bring you into judgment. And so, how do we live in light of that? Remember that when you stand before God in judgment, that you stand not in your own merit, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But also remember this. God shows His love for us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And remember this, young and old, 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so, young and old, remember this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, consider your end from the beginning. Consider your death while you are young. And then the second part where Solomon takes us is, and to do that, you're going to need to accept your mortality. You're going to have to come to terms with that no matter what age you are. You're going to have to accept your mortality. Remembering your Creator and His redemption of you as His child prepares even the young for a healthy perspective of life. And those saved unto eternity, we live this life under the sun as mortals, becoming more and more apparent with our aging. Aging is inevitable for every son and daughter of Adam. You cannot escape it. And while by God's grace we may age As I like to say, we age gratefully and gracefully, right? That's how I want to age. I want to age age gratefully and gracefully. Aging's not-so-subtle characteristics become more apparent the longer we last. Now, what may be described in our passage today as a series of poetic metaphors. In fact, just... As a literature nerd, as a poetry nerd, this is my favorite section of Ecclesiastes. Not as much for the message as the metaphorical language, the poetic structure. It is amazing. And you got to understand, he's conveying to us the aging process in each of these metaphors. So, for example, he begins with the dimming of our light, or that is our, our eyesight. And he says, the sun... And the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Eyes age. Even full sunlight is not a guarantee for clarity and for some, light at night is blinding. And while age may, be, may bring greater perspective, like returning clouds after a rain our eyesight is going to become poorer and poorer and poorer the older we get. Now, this is not to say that we cease to enjoy the sun by day and the moon by night. It's not to say that we don't enjoy a good rainy day, right? But after each passing day, there is an increasing deterioration of the body. Solomon says, When the keepers of the house tremble, And the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. (laughs) All right, that's the point where somebody just goes, amen. I'm there, right? Think about what he's saying. Stability wanes. We're prone to fall. And standing up straight eventually has a curve to it. To eat our food, 
we once had a complete set of cutlery. And over time, well, they get chipped and damaged. And some even fall out. The doors that were once open, shut to where you can't hear anything. But then there's a window up here that opens so you can hear a bird at night that nobody else hears but you at 2 o'clock in the morning. The songs that we used to just belt out and sing, now our voice is not quite appropriate for public use. Sometimes we see some whose hair, like an almond tree, blossoms white. I've been the pastor here for going on 11 years. It wasn't this white when I started, folks. The almond tree is blossoming. But in some cases, the blossoms blow away. Right? Our sense of fearlessness gets replaced. What's it get replaced with? It gets replaced with a fear of falling. And the legs that once ran, my dad said that when he was in high school, they said that he had a deer legs, ran like a deer. And now, well, they can drag like a grasshopper, right? Even the intimate passion in the marital, marital relationship that at one point seemed ablaze seems all but extinguished. As an aging man, it's hard for me to wrestle with this imagery. Even though I appreciate the poetry, it's poignant, isn't it? But it's also telling. What Solomon describes is a signpost of the inevitable. Yet, how many of us are in denial of our own mortality? Think about it this way. And this is what Solomon does by introducing in mourners into this description. He gives the description poetic description of our aging, and then he inserts mourners. And the insertion is a picture of a funeral. And you think about it this way. How many of you are planning on attending your own funeral? Right? I mean, you're supposed to laugh. It's an impossibility. But there will be those, your loved ones, who will attend your funeral. And they will mourn, rightly, your loss they will awake, hopefully, to the reality of their mortality. As I heard Ligon Duncan say one time, is that he loved doing weddings more than funerals when he was early in his ministry. And as he went on, and the longer he served as a minister, he loved the funerals more than the weddings. Because at the funerals, people often become sobered to the reality of their mortality. And they're more open to the things of God. And Solomon uses a series of descriptions here. Uh, You can think of it as the silver years. In the silver years, it's as if the band grows tight. And the tighter it gets, think of a rubber band, that it could could snap. But then proceed to the golden years. And In the golden years, the bowl that once held the vitality of our life is irreparably broken. It's leaky. The pitcher that used to be used to go to the cistern of vitality is now pouring out. It's spilling. In fact, the cistern isn't even running anymore, no longer to be filled. Where Solomon is taking us is right here 
in verse 7. The dust returns to the earth as it was. Now that is a picture pointing directly back to Genesis chapter 2, in which we read that God made Adam from the dust of the ground. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Here Solomon is saying, this is how it works. This is the cycle. Made from dust, return to dust. Arguments over how the body is to be buried are superficial. They're meaningless. The fact is, is the body returns earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But Solomon then says, but not the spirit, which returns to God who gave it. And it's a sobering thought, isn't it? Not to leave us despondent, but reflective. We should read this portion of Ecclesiastes and pause. How does the truth that the dust returns to the earth as it was inform how I live today as a believer? How does this truth inform how I live today as a believer? In the English translation, which we're going to sing today, of Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, we sing these words. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. And in simple verse, that is it's translated here, Luther reminds us of the eternality of God, the eternality of His Word, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that the Spirit gives. All of this transcend this mortal life and prepares us for eternal life. And it is a sanctifying, I think, a sanctifying reminder in this mortal life that screams for your attention and screams for your devotion, encouraging us to fear and to fight not to lose this life. We're reminded that this life is not eternal. But God's Word is. God's Word is. And God's truth abides. This life does not. So what do we gain by fearing death and obsessing over this mortal life when all we have and all that we will be is secured for us in Christ? It's a fool's errand, isn't it? To fear death when our Lord Jesus Christ has already conquered it. To be obsessed with the things of this world. To worry over worldly concerns. It's a fool's errand. We have been redeemed for much better. As Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so the message, as we consider life, whatever age we may be, let us live this life for Christ. Because unlike this life, His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are human beings captive to time and space. 
And so we are easily led astray by the worries of this world. We pray that you would give us a right perspective of life by considering our death. And that we will look to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith to live this life moment by moment, accepting what comes, trusting you in all things, glorifying you with our life. Soli Deo Gloria. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.